title of this morning's message is My Mountain. I've addressed it some in worship. I'm ready for you to start taking a mountain. Amen? Amen. I'm ready for you to start taking a mountain. And in the last message that I preached, I talked on this briefly, and it was the seven spheres or mountains of influence that are in the world that we face today. And the problem is our thoughts are more shaped by the present mountains of influence that are in our life than the promises of God that are in our life. Amen? So we must begin to understand that if we're more influenced by the mountains of influence in our life than the promise of God that's within our life, we got a culture problem. Because the culture of God within our life is contradicting the mountains of influence that are trying to impact our life. And so it's our job as a believer to do like, as we mentioned in worship, like Caleb did and said, God, give me my mountain. Some of you need to pick out your mountain this morning. Maybe it's the mountain of family. These are the seven mountains of influence. Your family. Some of you maybe need to say, God, it's time that I get my mountain back. You promised me this mountain. You said I could have this mountain. You said this mountain is mine. I'm just as strong today as I've ever been in my faith. I'm taking my mountain. It should not be acceptable that your kids get led to the Lord by somebody else besides you, parents. Give me an amen on that. Come on. And if they do, celebrate with them. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you need to be so possessive of your mountain that you need to be praying with your kids and praying with your spouses and praying with your extended family. Take that mountain back. You become the cultural influence of the presence of God in your family. You set the tone. You set the stage. I love the way Damon always says it. You're a thermostat, not a thermometer. You're not dictated by fluctuating temperatures. You set the temperature. You set the standard. Some of you need to take the mountain of of religion back. You think Christianity is a religion, but it's not. It's a relationship. And you need to say, I'm not satisfied with this mountain of religion in my life. It's time that I go up on the mountain and have an encounter with the presence of the Father and let the Father begin to transform this thing that the world calls religion, but it should have such a cultural shift in my life that they can't even define it as a religion anymore because it never has been. It's a relationship. Some of you need to take back, the, take back the mountain of your economy and the culture's economy. Some of you are great business-minded men and women of God that have an anointing on your life, and I'll get into that in just a minute, and you need to not be satisfied with the economic system in our area. Come on. 60% of, I believe, and this, I think I'm low on this, 60% of kids at the SSISD are on free or reduced lunches because of the poverty level. I'm not satisfied with the economy of our area. It's time that we have a spiritual, cultural influence in the area of our economy. The education. Listen, you need to have a cultural influence on your education and where your kids go to school. You need to be praying for their teachers. You need to bring teachers a gift basket. You need to be praising them. You need to be uplifting them. You need to send them scriptures. I know you can't go into the education system and preach, but I know you can call your kid's teacher on the phone and just say, hey, what can I do for you to make your life better? And I don't care if they are atheist. You can do something to make the teacher's life better. The government, nobody's satisfied with the mountain of our government. Give me an amen. Let's change it. The arts and media, social media, news broadcasting, music industry. If you're satisfied with it, give me an amen. I'm sure not. Let's take, make a cultural change. Science and education, that basically breaks down into the area of technology. 
The area of technology. Man, technology is moving at such a rapid pace, and the church world is left so far behind that, that we're basically extinct when it comes to figuring out how we operate in the world. But man, let's just start using our technology. That's why we have this April challenge. If you're here this morning and have your phone, I encourage you to open up your Facebook app right now while I'm preaching. Check in at TWBC. Let the world know where you are at 8.30 on a Sunday morning. Give me an amen. I mean, use technology to be bold with the gospel. And while you're Facebooking, don't scroll, okay? Just pay attention. <laughs> I want you to put this post out there that says, I'm taking my mountain. Put it on there. Man, let's have 100 people this morning post, I'm taking my mountain on Facebook. I don't care if you use a Bible app or a paperback version of the Bible. We've got technology for an amazing reason, and we must begin to use it to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ at an unprecedented rate. And people say, well, pastor, I'm not sure about all this technology stuff in the church, but you don't have a problem with me getting on a plane and flying to Africa, even though Jesus never got on a plane. Right? I'm getting to Africa. Come on. I'm not swimming. I'm not going to be in a boat. I'm taking technology. Amen. See, church is a miss because we, we, we don't want to embrace technology and use it for the expanding of the kingdom of God when we could actually see a great movement of God take place if we would embrace what God has given us through technology. Now, I want to read you this verse of Scripture out of Joshua chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 6. And it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Junith, the Canaanite, said to him, You know the word of the Lord, which Moses said, uh, the man of God, concerning you and concerning me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Everybody say, as it was in my heart. God's wanting to speak a word into your heart this morning. See, you're not going to take a mountain until he gives you a word. You're not getting your family back until he gives you a word. You're not in changing the economic culture until he gives you a word. So you need to take the word that God speaks into your heart individually this morning, and you need to hang on to it and watch how God begins to use it. And it says, nevertheless... My brethren who went up with me made the heart the, the, who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so Moses swore to me on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's inheritance forever, because you wholly or fully followed the Lord my God. And behold, now the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, These forty-five years ever since the Lord spoke. This word to Moses while I was in Israel and wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am at this day, 85 years old, as I am just as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so it is now. My strength is for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, Joshua, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke of that day. Come on. That sounds like a man of faith. A man with a different spirit about him. A man who is 85 and wasn't intimidated by a mountain. Amen. Some of us are in the prime of our life here today. And if you're between the ages of 35 on up, or I'll say 25 on up, 21 on up, you're in the prime of your life. You're in the prime of your life. But yet we're scared of a mountain. 
We don't know how our family's going to react if we become bold with the culture of heaven in our family. You're scared of the mountain. I need a church that's not scared of the mountain. Give me an amen. We need to be a church that's not scared of a mountain. We need to be a church that says, look at that mountain. Heath, God promised me that mountain 45 years ago. I did all that God has commanded me. Now it's my day. Gamble, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. See, some of y'all, some of y'all don't want it bad enough. Some of y'all are happy living in the living in the in the low places. I'm praying that you get uncontent. I, I love the word discontent. And I pray that there becomes a hunger birthed inside of you that says, all that God has given me, even though it may not be much, I'm gonna use it to go take a mountain. I'm just going to take a mountain with it. I'm not satisfied with where my family's at. I'm not satisfied with where my career's at. I'm not satisfied with what's going on. God, I need a word from you today that I can wholly or fully follow. And when I get that word, I'm going to hang on to it because I don't know when, but there's going to be a day when I'm standing at the base of a mountain talking to a great leader, and I'm going to say, God promised me that. See, some of y'all are wondering how the church keeps doing amazing things that it's doing. We hadn't even started with the promise that God put in my heart. We haven't even begun to do all that God's called us to do. We are just now starting maturity as a church. And we haven't even begun to do all that God has put in our hearts at TWBC. So I'm saying get ready. We're fixing to take some mountains. We are going to be this church that sets an example of the culture of heaven here in this place. And so he said, now, therefore, give me my mountain. See, the major mental block that we've taught in the church is, is church is what we do on Sunday. Work is what we do Monday through Friday. And ball games are what we do on Saturday. And we've limited almighty God and all his power of us taking mountains to Sunday morning between 830 and 1030. Well, God's great. He can do anything. He sure can, and he wants to use you to do it. That's why he inspires you on Monday to change the culture of your work, or inspires you on Sunday to change the culture of your workplace on Monday. The problem is when you leave here, many of us leave the presence here. And it's time that we create a shift and remove this mental block that church is not what we do on Sunday. Church is a celebration party of all the great culture of heaven victories that we've had Monday through Saturday. Church on Sunday morning should be a joyous time where corporate faith and people get together and we begin to celebrate the great victories that happen Monday through Saturday because this isn't ministry. When we leave here, we embark on ministry to change the world. Now, this is a place for hurt, broken, lost, dead, sick, and dying to come. So if you're one of those, I'm praying that the Father touches you with a word today and you get a transformation but I promise if you stay here for any length of time, you're not going to stay dead long, sick long, broke long, dying long. You're not going to stay there long. You, you can't. Listen, when the presence of God shows up, he specializes in bringing dead things to life. People come in here and about three months later, they will say, I got, I'm starting to dream again. And I haven't dreamed in, in a long time. And I think God's got a plan for me. Because you can't stay dead when you're allowed, around a living God. Dreams can't stay dead. Visions can't stay dead. Promises can't stay dead. Marriages can't stay dead. Kids can't stay dead. So governments can't stay dead. Economies can't stay dead. Political realms can't stay dead. God is trying to change 
the seven mountains of influence with his culture and the culture of heaven. The reason Christianity is being labeled a religion today is because it is a religion when you only do it on Sunday mornings from 8.30 to 10.30. But it's a vibrant, living, organism, lifestyle relationship when you embark on the presence of God and it touches you and you leave here and you're never the same. Now Jesus said, as we read in our opening passage, as you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. And I'm going to read to you a passage out of the book of Exodus this morning. Because some of you are thinking, I can't go to my office and preach. I'm not asking you to preach. Well, pastor, I can't go to my office and they don't let us pray for people publicly. They don't even like us praying. I, I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm called to do. You're telling me to go change this mountain of influence in my workplace with the culture of heaven. And I don't know how to do it because what you're telling me to do and what they don't allow, that there, there's this clash of cultures. And if you're recognizing the clash, get ready to bear fruit. Because this is the most amazing part. I want you to realize this. As fruit is on the end of a branch... Your fruit is at the end of your hand. Listen to this story. Exodus chapter number 4. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter number 31, verses 1 through 5. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called Bezael, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And listen, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Everybody say, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. With the ability and the intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And then he goes on to say, to devise artistic designs in the work of gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. His fruit was not intercessory prayer. His fruit was at the end of his hand. Just as this hammer, and I don't know who's this, who this hammer is speaking to today, but God has not let me off this all week that I need to have a hammer on stage today for some reason. And this may be your word or your confirmation that God's going to do something in your life. But this man in the Old Testament, God is trying to get the tabernacle and the pieces of it put together. And he says, I've anointed a man, and he's filled with the Spirit of God with wisdom, intelligence, and understanding to build something. It did not say he was filled with wisdom and intelligence to go into the most holy place. It did not say he was filled with wisdom and intelligence and all these things to, to go up on the mountain with Moses. It says he was filled with wisdom and intelligence to pick up a hammer in his hand and begin to craft something amazing for the Father. Listen, whether it's a hammer in your hand or a keyboard at the end of your fingers, your fruit is at the end of your hand. If you're a nurse, the fruit is at the end of your hand. If you're a doctor, the, the, the fruit is at the end of your hand. If you are a, uh, an accountant, the fruit is at the end of your fingertips. Listen, your fruit, it's more than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As mentioned in the book of Galatians, your fruit, just as fruit is at the end of a branch, your fruit is at the end of your hand, and God wants to anoint men and women of God and fill them with his Holy Spirit and give them great ability and wisdom and in knowledge and an understanding of your specific career that will transform the culture and the economy of the world that you're in. 
It's not going to be done in a church building. It's going to be done in the marketplace. It's going to be done in the offices. It's going to be done in the hospitals. It's going to be done at the end of home health care. It's going to be done in the school system because teachers aren't afraid to share their fruit that's at the end of their hand. And that's not preaching to students. It's loving them and teaching them and showing the power of God through their career that is their gift. Doesn't look like much fruit. Doesn't look very holy. Doesn't look too anointed because it's not until you grab it. See, some of you go to work and you bash your job and you don't realize that that's the fruit at the end of your hand that you're supposed to be transforming a culture with. And if you drive an 18-wheeler truck, the fruit is at the end of your hand. You're driving that big rig all across America. And you have opportunities to pray over every state in the land. But you're too busy griping that the traffic's bad. And I don't know what I'm doing. And God, you got me in this horrible career. And God this, and God that. And you're griping. And you're complaining. And the fruit you're bearing isn't anything. But when you start praising him in the midst of your career, not because of your career, but in the midst of your career, and say, God, it's time that you start letting me produce fruit at my career, you may be surprised at what doors start opening. This isn't very anointed can't do much. Listen, this hammer will sit here for all of eternity until somebody picks it up and begins to use it properly. And see, with this hammer, I remember this hammer all too well. Because with this hammer, and several of you were with me, we put up all the walls around this sanctuary. Because with this hammer and several of you with me, we've built out the kitchen. We finished out a youth room. We finished out upstairs classrooms. We, we, we built a sound booth. With this, hand, with this hammer, we, we went to a nursery and we built a place for our kids. We built a toddler's room. We built a third and fourth grade room. We built a K through 12, a K through, uh, a K through f- a third grade room. We built a fourth and fifth grade room. We built it. And there wasn't much anointing in the hammer until some people decided that with this hammer, I'm going to create a house where the presence of God can show up. And when I start swinging it, the power of God's going to be able to manifest in in a place that I hadn't experienced before. But it's a hammer. It's your fruit. When I say three, everybody tell me what your career is. And there is no such career as retired. God does not retire, he refires. You're just in a different season, baby, and you got free time to do it. On the count of three, tell me what your career is. Yell it out. One, two, three. Now you know what your fruit is. You know how to go and produce fruit in wherever you work. And I'm going to show you how to do it in the next five minutes. When you recognize what's in your hand, God will change what's in your heart. So you need to get that. When you finally recognize what's in your hand, he'll begin to change what's in your heart. It's just a lot of us haven't recognized what's in our hand. If you're a police officer in this room, you're more than somebody who puts on a badge. You hadn't recognized what's in your hand. God has given you earthly authority and spiritual authority. There ain't nothing stopping you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can go places I can't. You can go into places that are shut down, closed off, blocked off in the midst of a crisis. They won't let me cross or caution tape, but they'll let you in because of the authority that's in your life. You weren't called to sit in a cop car. Called to change nations. We just hadn't recognized what's in our hand. But when we recognize what's in our hand, he'll change our heart. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, Then Moses answered, 
But God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. (laughs) Doesn't it sound like us? (laughs) God, if I go in there and start doing this thing, they're going to say, God didn't talk to you. You're crazy. God, I would speak to you. And they're going to tell all all your friends and embarrass you. God spoke to him. (laughs) So? Who cares? God should speak to you. If he doesn't, I'm concerned. I'm going to keep reading. And the Lord said to him, what's the question? What is in your hand? Is it a hammer? What's in your hand? Moses looked at him and said, what is in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. See, he had the wisdom of God. I'm just telling you. Come on now. I had to get y'all laughing at some point. Y'all serious on me today. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand. You don't reach out for a snake unless God says so, okay? I'm just telling you. Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. You want to talk about faith? I'm just thinking. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. I want you to jump down. I want you to jump down to verse number 20. Or I'm sorry, yeah, verse number 20. And it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and made them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. See, some of y'all got to catch that. In verse 1, it was just a staff until God touched it and it became anointed. All through the rest of the life of Moses, it's never just called a staff. It's always called the staff of God. See, when God gives you a word this morning, and it may be about your hammer here, it's no longer a hammer. It's now the hammer of God. See, when God gives you a word, as he gave Moses a word, he said, Moses, what's in your hand? He didn't say, Moses, I need you to go get a new career. I need you to go find a new profession. See, God says, I want you to recognize what's in your hand. And Moses said, it's a staff. And he threw it on the ground. It became a snake. He picked it up. It became a staff. From that moment on, it is called the staff of God. And we must realize and embrace whatever is in our hand currently at this moment in your life. It is the whatever of God in your life. If you love to bake and you are a great chef, you need to start baking cakes for Jesus, I'm telling you. And you can share them with your pastor. We love Thank you, Jesus. If you, if you can do something good and it's fun and it may not be your career, it may be your hobby. How many men in here love to fish? I know a bunch of single moms who would love to have a step-in dad to take care of their boys to teach them how to fish. How many of you moms out here love to go shopping? Not for your kids, but you just like to shop. I know, a, I know a bunch of people who really don't got the money, but they would love somebody to take their little baby girl shopping and for somebody to teach them how to dress appropriately and for somebody to let them te- just, be a, just be a step in. I'm not saying take their place and teach them how to be an anointed young woman of God that she finds what's in her hand. See, God's telling you to do one thing. I need you to recognize what is in your hand See, Moses, when he looked at his hand, he was carrying what was natural to him. Moses was a shepherd, and so he always had his staff with him. And so this was very natural to him. He didn't have to learn how to use a staff. 
He didn't have to learn how to swing it. He didn't have to learn how to walk with it up on a mountain. He had done it since he was a teenage boy taking care of sheep. He didn't have to learn how to use a staff. It was natural to him. And so God is saying, what is very natural in your life? I don't need something great. I just need an avenue to work through. Some of you will recall that. I don't need something profound. I just need a pathway in the natural to get to it. And whatever is in your hand, I can anoint. There was nothing special about Jesus' clothes. But when the woman touched it because he was wearing it. Listen, I know some of y'all are going to get theological and say, well, you know that was the Jewish prayer cloth, and she grabbed the end of the beads. I know the whole story. But she had been going to a prayer cloth for years to the Pharisees, and she wasn't well. She walked up to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of Scripture, and knew what prayer was about, and she touched it. And the world changed. Listen, there was nothing special about the handkerchiefs that they prayed over and sent to people. It was the anointing of God. Because men and women of God are using what is in their hand. Now listen, God is not asking for what you don't have. God's not asking for what you don't have. Some of you who can take a little boy fishing or teach him how to play baseball, God's not asking for you to go buy a bass boat. He's asking to let somebody borrow a fishing pole. I'm sorry, I just disappointed all the men's, all the women. Give me a amen, hallelujah. That was not your word from God to go buy a bass boat this afternoon. I'm sorry. That's between you and the spouse, and y'all get it right with Jesus. Amen. Amen. But God is saying, you got a little boy who can borrow a fishing pole, don't you? Joel, you know how to teach soccer. Why do you think I coach? It's not just because I love coaching my boys. Yesterday, this kid who was on my team from last season runs up to me, gives me this great big hug, and says, Coach, I've missed you. And then the, the cool thing was, last year, this little boy had warts all over his hands so bad and he couldn't even play soccer because they had to burn them all off and they kept coming back. And as he held those bandage-wrapped hands out to me on a Saturday morning and he had burns on his face where they burned them off too. I didn't pray out loud. I didn't make a spectacle. I said, I'm not going to say his name. I said, come here. And I just placed my hands on him like that. And I talked to the team about the game. And he runs up to me yesterday and says, Coach, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look at them. I'm blown away by how difficult we make ministry. I didn't even pray because the Bible says just lay your hands on sick and they'll recover. And so I just took God at his word and I said, my heart broke for him when I saw him because he couldn't play. He wanted to play so bad. And I just laid his hands in between mine. And yesterday, he comes and runs up to me. And he didn't give me a high five like he always did. He gave me a hug. He said, Coach, look at my hands. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? I love coaching soccer. That's what's in my, it's in my foot. <laughs> it's in my hand. To teach kids and love them. And yeah, I get loud and crazy and crazy, too crazy. But it's okay because it's in my hand. It's in my hand. So God's not asking for what you don't have. He's asking for what you do have. God's not asking for something that is unnatural to you. Soccer is unnatural to me. If you ask me to coach your kid in baseball, I will uh, royally teach him everything wrong. There's a reason I don't play baseball. Because I'm horrible at it. And I never did growing up. 
And so I, I'm not trying to go coach something I don't know. I'm just simply using what God gave me as a love in my life. So it's not something that's unnatural to me. I need to recognize what's in my hand, and I need to know that it's something that's natural to me. And when this stick, this stick or whatever's in your hand, when God can begin to use it, it's no longer just a staff. When you became born again, there was an anointing placed in your life. So whether you pick up a hammer, whether you pick up a staff, whether you're coaching soccer teams or you're teaching somebody how to fish, whether you're teaching a little girl how to bake brownies, whatever it is, your ability became the blank, whatever it is, of God Almighty to change your culture. That's what he's saying. If we're going to change these mountains of influence, it's going to be because we're naturally great at accounting. And you got a degree in accounting. And you can change economy just by what you do on an everyday basis. You just got to start committing what I do. I'm going to commit it to the anointing of God. And I'm going to see how many people get great tax returns. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. So... Recognize what's in your hand. Recognize what is natural to you. And when that stick of whatever you have in your life, when you commit it to God, it becomes the staff of God. And listen, the simple becomes the miraculous. You'll recognize sometime later in the life of Moses, in verse 16 of Exodus 14, he said, Lift up your hand. And stretch your hand out over the sea. Or says, I'm sorry, he says, lift up your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea. And divide it and the people of Israel will go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, what did God say, lift up? The staff of God. It's a stick. Until God touches it. Then the stick... Divided Red Seas. The simple is the catalyst for the miraculous. <laughs> Coaching soccer was the catalyst for a little boy's hands to get healed. A fishing pole can be a catalyst for a breakthrough. Baking a pie can change somebody's world. Don't, don't count God out. He doesn't need a lot in the natural. He just needs an avenue to it. God will use a stick to change a nation. He did. He brought Israel out. This becomes life-giving at its deepest point. This, this stick, this staff of God gave the nation of Israel new life. Listen to this verse of Scripture in Exodus 17. Guys, I'm going to need you all to throw that on the screen. I didn't have that in my notes for some reason. Exodus 17, verses 4 through 6. I'll just paraphrase it. God is talking to Moses and he said, Strike the rock with your staff. And all the people... Somebody's blowing up my text message. Y'all quit texting me in church. Yes, Facebook blowing up. Hey, we're coming to church, second service. Here we go. He said this. God said, Moses, the people are dying of thirst. And Moses wasn't even in a good mood that day. You can go read the story. God, these people are dying of thirst. And God said, with the staff of God, strike a rock and water will pour forth. So he did and water poured forth. And here's the amazing thing about this message. 
The amazing thing about this message is that rock doesn't symbolize rock for water. That rock literally is the symbol of Jesus Christ. That rock is the cornerstone of the foundation of Israel. And listen, when the wood struck the rock, water began to flow and new life came to the whole nation of Israel. When the wood of the cross struck the rock of Jesus Christ, blood and water came forth and the whole world has never been the same ever since. And so the catalyst for the miraculous was a stick in the Old Testament. It was a cross in the New Testament. Either way, the catalyst gave life to a lost and dying nation like never before. You want to know how you're going to take your mountain? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? It's a stick, pastor. <laughs> Till God touches it. It's a soccer ball, pastor. <laughs> was it? It was a prayer cloth, Jesus. Was it? God doesn't need a lot in the natural. He needs a pathway to it. You are that pathway to what God has. And the most amazing thing about this whole message is the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, has God not chosen the foolish things to confound the wise? The problem is most of us are sitting in the seat of the wise. And we're confounded by how foolish this sounds with a little stick how can it create a nation how can it change the world how can baking a pie transform somebody's life i don't know start baking see where god has you bring it i don't know pray about which little boy god wants you to take fishing men pray about which little boy you need to give pitching lessons to for free pray about which little girl needs to learn how to make brownies and teach be taught how to cook because her mom's working three jobs and doesn't have the time pray about how your what's in your hand can transform what's in somebody else's heart and god says i don't need a lot in the natural i just need a pathway to it and what you have is more than enough